Hello, welcome back to another episode of The Becoming. Today we have a very special guest. This is Coach David Edwards, who will be joining us today to share his journey and drop some knowledge for all the coaches out there or anybody else who may be listening to this. Uh, so first of all, just want to thank Coach Edwards for taking the time to be a guest on The Becoming today. And I know a lot of coaches out there who are listening will be able to, to learn a lot from our conversation today. So first question is, what is your why? Like, why did you want to become a coach in the first place? You know, I think everybody, not just only in coaching or leadership, you, know, you have to understand why you want to do something. So what was your why into getting into basketball coaching? And I mean, I, I, that is the question, isn't it? I mean, you got to remember that through the hard times and the good times and all that, you know, what your why is. And for me, um, I grew up actually playing soccer and uh, I really fell in love with sports and uh, I could see the impact that it had on me and on my teammates. Um, and then I moved when I graduated college. I was a, a PE teacher at the time and the job I was at required me to coach two sports. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll give basketball a try. And um, I wasn't very good at it, but man, did I enjoy it. And it was something new. And it was, um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't do well at not knowing stuff. Like I, I'm, I'm motivated to learn. I don't, I don't like to stink. You know, <laughs> I want to be good. And so I started studying more and more and more. And um, that kind of led me on a journey that has taken me. I mean, basketball has so been so unbelievable to me. Um, but my real why is because growing up, I always, I mean, I had good coaches, don't get me wrong, but I always wanted a coach that would like get the most out of me. Like the coach that believed in me so much that he would not ever let me slip. Like just, I wanted, I wanted that coach and I never had that coach. Um, and that drives me every single day. Um, one of my her personal heroes is Bob Hurley, um, the, the hall of fame coach from New Jersey, uh, Jersey city. And, and he has this saying, which he, he never wanted a player to ever leave his program and say, if only coach had, you know, and, and that, that really has become my why. Um, you know, I, I work with kids here at Crockett High School in, in Austin, Texas, and it's an it's a urban school. It's, uh, you know, kind of lower on the SES scale. A lot of these kids come with a lot of problems from home and all that. And I just want to help them find success because, like, they're so special and they have so many positive qualities and, and maybe they haven't seen so much. And so it just drives me, like, every day um, – to, uh, I don't ever want them to say, man, if coach Edwards had done this, you know, then maybe my life would be different. And, uh, so every day I'm just, I'm motivated by that. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great, great way to stay motivated. Um, was there a moment when you were younger, maybe you were in your playing days where someone said, you know, you would be a great coach someday. Well, actually my dad is a coach or was a coach. I think he's kind of retired now, but, um, I, when I was playing soccer early, he decided to coach me and he had never coached before. In fact, he really wasn't much of an athlete. Um, and so he coached me for a long time and then, uh, he stopped coaching me and I, I worked with some other coaches, but he started his own soccer club. And so when I was 12 years old, I said, dad, I want to coach. And so he made me his assistant for a season. And then the next year I had my own team. 
and and by the time I was like 15, 16 years old, I was doing the the money. I was registering us for tournaments, getting hotels, or organizing practices. I went through my school district to get a practice field for us. Like I was already doing all of that coaching stuff. I was running my own practices. I was studying the game, um, and I just. I don't know. I've always been an intrinsically motivated person. If I do something, I want to do it well. And, um, and so he really gave me the opportunity to start. And I don't really know. I mean, since I started at 12, like before that, nobody really ever said, no, you should be a coach. But then after that, I was a coach. And, uh, you know, so it's just kind of taken me from there. So, you know, mention how you want to get the most out of your players and getting the most out of your teams. So other than the obvious, which is, you know, winning the championship, how would you say that you're able to get the most out of your players? Like at the end of the season, how can you look back and say, yeah, I got the most out of that team other than maybe the, the end result? Yeah. Uh, what kind of people are they? You know, uh, have their teachers told me about improvements in the classroom? Have their parents said that, They've seen their son mature uh, as a as a person, as a young man. Um, are they no longer some of their weaknesses in terms of their discipline and in terms of their uh, you know their character? Like, have they now become you know have they gotten they're no longer weaknesses or are now are they strengths? You know, um, all of that definitely plays into it because I don't think you can win without those things, you know, without discipline and character and, and being a good student. Um, you know, the job I have here, I took over a program that was, you know, not really in a good place when I took it over. And, and um, you know, we have really, really, really worked hard to instill a brand new culture here. Um, and then also, I mean, I say it, no matter what the last game is, um, I want to see the kids crying in the locker room that are seniors. Like then I know that this has truly had an impact on them. And, and you know, we have four core values and, and the first one is care. And um, like that care factor is so huge. Like if uh, I know that I've gotten everything from a kid, like if they are showing that in their actions every single day, how much they care. Um, and I'm going to give you an example. Um, you know, we're not all the way there at all. I mean, this is, only my second season here, but um, I have a player who last year was like averaging, like failing, like badly failing all of his classes. And now he's passing, you know, so that's good. And he's going to be eligible. Um, our booster club president just called me and said, uh, we have this opportunity tomorrow to go to the University of Texas football game, run a concession stand, and make some money for the program. But I need the kids here at 5 a.m., which, you know, an undisciplined kid looks at that and says, heck no. And, um, I was just really surprised. I put it out to the team. I had three kids respond. And one of them was this kid who like last year, there's no way in the world he is, he's texting back, you know, and, uh, and he was one of the first people to jump on it. I'll be there. I'm ready. And, uh, so he's going to be working 12 hours tomorrow to help earn money for our program. And, um, so to me, that's a huge success, you know, like it's just, those kind of things. And I think you just build on that, build on that, build on that, build on that over time. And then, you know, he's a senior. So the freshmen are going to see that. And now it's going to set a new standard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, you say at the end of the season, but really in Texas here, we go year round, you know, like we, we have off season conditioning, we have an athletic period. 
Um, so I see the kids the entire way school, through the school year. And then during the summer, we work out twice, two to three times a week. And, um, you know, uh, you know, when you start to see that care factor and the kids are coming and they're enthusiastic and they're working out on their own and they're starting to do these extra opportunities, um, I think now you're starting to get something special. You know, just how much you care can really play a major role in how successful your team is. Because if you have, you know, skilled players or big guys, athletic guys, but they don't, <clears throat> excuse me, they don't really care that much, then it's going to be hard for your team to, you know, reach the, the level that you want to get to. Like even a, a lesser skilled player or maybe a, a player that doesn't have quite the physical skills, but if they really care a lot, mm -hmm. that can make a big difference for your team. Um, so just want to kind of get into, you know, how you mentioned, uh, you know, this being your second year now at Crockett High School. So just before anything else, I want you to just talk about how this opportunity came about. Um, okay, so and I'm sure it's this way everywhere, but becoming a head coach is really, really hard. And uh, you either have to be at the right place at the right time, or you have to know somebody or you just have to work your, your butt off and pray and, and, and just try to put yourself in that right position. And um, so, I mean, my story, I, I'm not going to take you all the way through my resume, but I already told you I started as a soccer coach and then I'm middle school and then I'm, I'm bouncing all over the place. I, I ran a nonprofit for fourth and fifth graders for six years and, um, you know, basketball program. And um, then I decided I want to get back into high school coaching. And so I, I bounced around a little bit. I had three different assistant positions, but happened to be that Crockett is in the same district as my last school that I was at. And I was at that school for six years. And um, one of the things I did that I think really like, I, I talk to my players all the time about separators, like what separates you from everyone else. We're a competitive, we're a competitive society. And you have to find these things, these little things that separate you. And I think one of the things that really helped me separate um, was that when I decided I wanted to be, become a head coach, I made a list of the top 10 to 15 coaches I thought in our area, head coaches. And I came up with an interview sheet and I called them and I said, uh, you know, my name's David Edwards. I want to be a head coach. Would you mind answering some of my questions and, and, and like letting me interview you? And every single one of them said yes. And like those conversations led to so many different opportunities to do different things. Plus, I built my network and built my reputation, too, because now they got to talk to me one on one. And uh, I kind of got to set that, though. I got to set the agenda on that, which was really cool. Um, and I would always ask at the end, hey, do you have an opportunity or do you know of an opportunity? And, um, you know, I got so much insight into what was going on because, you know, by the time a job is published, um, they already know who their candidate is. You know, like you, you got to know beforehand. Uh, and so I did that and then I got into it. And then so, I, you know, I'm meeting people as I'm doing all that. Um, but I got to the point where I was six years at my last school. I was getting pretty frustrated. I felt like I was ready. And I, I had been passed up on a lot of opportunities. I'm trying to come up with creative ways to separate myself. And I said, well, let me go back to what I did before. And I went to um, the assistant AD here at Austin ISD, who's an amazing basketball coach. She's since retired from basketball and doing AD now. But um, I just met with her and I was just, we talked, we had lunch and just chatted about a bunch of different things. I interviewed her. I said, what would you do if you were in my situation? This, that, and the other thing. And at the end of the conversation, I said, do you know, like of anything that might come up? 
and she recommended that I give um, my AD here at Crockett a call and just said, you know, I don't know what's happening there, but you, it's somebody to know. And we got to talking. And then at the end of that conversation, she said, well, you know, we may have a position here. You know, is that something you might be interested in? I'm like, absolutely. And um, it just kind of went from there. And, uh, you know, got an interview along with a bunch of other people. It was still competitive, but I had already prepared for my interview. I had my, my presentation. I had my, my binder. Like, I had everything ready to go. And um, <clears throat> I was blessed enough to be offered the job. And, and so it was, it was in a lot of ways being in the right place at the right time, but also, like, that strategy of, like, trying to separate yourself, trying to network. Um, I, I don't remember who, <clears throat> who suggested it. I wish I could uh, give them props, but like, to me, that was invaluable because yeah, um, even when I came in as an assistant, I already knew 10 of the top head coaches in town, you know? And so that just, again, elevated me a little bit above some of the other assistants. So when you were going through that interview process, what was the hardest question that you were asked? That's a question I've never been asked. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think hardest question in interviews is tell me about yourself. Right. I, I don't even know that's a question, but you know, like that's the, t I think it's toughest because you really want to, it gives you an opportunity to really like personalize your message and you really have to have done your research because I mean, that could go off, you know, like to me, a, a great answer is like, two and a half, three minutes long, maybe, maybe, maybe shorter, but it's like very precise and very uh, calculated in how you answer that. Uh, and because it's usually the first question they ask and you can really set that interview off on a good, good, you know, foot or a bad foot with how you answer that question. Um, so I would say that that's probably the hardest because I think uh, most of the other questions, you definitely gear them to the school. And you need to have done your research. But that first question, like, it really shows if you've done your research on the school or not. And, again, like, I mean, there are different reasons to take an interview, right? Like, I was taking any interview I could get just to get practice. But you also want to consider, can I be successful at the school, too? And so, um, you know, when you're answering that question, um, I think you can start to get the feel for if that's like if it's going to be a good match or not, just by based on their reactions to what what you've said. Yeah, tell me about yourself is a is a tough question. It's like when you're in class and the teacher asks everybody to say one interesting thing about themselves. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, where do you even go from here? Yeah. But um, you know, you mentioned earlier about how you know the program that you're at now was kind of in a bad place. So when you first got there, what was maybe one or two things that you saw that you were, you knew right away, like this has to change. Oh, I mean, our, our bracket basketballs was five or six years old. Um, we did not have a complete set of uniforms when I got here. Um, so that was like, uh, we have an off season conditioning and my very first one, uh, I say I, new coach, you know, let's, let's all come out here. I had all the numbers. I called everybody, like emailed everybody, talked to parents and all that. And I got about 20 kids out. And after the meeting, about half of them leave. And we were doing a, we were doing a session. You know, we, we get in Texas, we get, you know, two hours of conditioning and an hour of, of skill work um, that we can do during the summer. 
and um, half of them just left. Some, of, a bunch of them I didn't even see again the entire summer. Um, you know, we were working out every day, and I was like, it could balance between five and, or really at times three, <laughs> or we could have fifteen. And they really weren't the right kids. I kept hearing about certain kids that you know we wanted to play because they were more talented, and they weren't coming. And it was just this whole like they just figured that they were just going to walk in and do what they had been doing and whatever. Um, and so, like it was just apparent that like there wasn't a, a high care factor at that time. And so like uh, we just from the beginning just started. You know, I mean, you have to work with them. You know, you can't just like drop it on them because they'll all quit. But, you know, we just have been constantly just upping, you know, the, you know, what we're asking of them, the expectation of them, just little by little, just every, you know, so often we got a new thing. We're adding this, we're doing this. Practices are getting more intense, you know? And, um, but yeah, it was, it was apparent. And also, I mean, when I got here, the team prior to me made the playoffs. They had incredible talent on that team. And one of the kids who's the district player of the year, he graduated and went off and played in college. Two of the other highly talented kids were transferring. And I talked to both of their parents about the reasons why. And I tried to like say, well, you ought to stay. Like, this is going to be different. Or, you know, we called it, uh, my, my, my kind of slogan was, it's a new day. You know, and uh, and but they end, they ultimately left, and so that was you know that was kind of a hit. Um, but we made the playoffs last year, so that was really good. And uh, you know, we were able to really lay a foundation. It, it never got to the point where it's going to be, but um, yeah, it was it was a challenge in the beginning, uh, and it's still it's still is a challenge today. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, it's going to be a challenge no matter what. I don't think no matter where you're at, there is always something that, you know, culture-wise. I think it's a daily battle. Every single day, you've got to fight for your culture. And we're dealing with teenagers here. And, you know, a lot of times, path of least resistance is where they want to go. And that's not going to lead you to success. And I think you've got to fight that constantly. Yeah, no, definitely. A lot of guys, they just want to go the easy way. But the easy way is not going to lead to you getting better or your team getting better. Mm -hmm. uh, so what do you think is the biggest difference in yourself between where you were at this time last year in your first year and now going into year two? Like, what do you think the biggest difference is in yourself from being a first year coach to now going into your second year? Yeah. I mean, I've heard it a bunch of times, but that 12 inches from assistant coach chair to head coach chair is like the longest distance in the game. Um, last year, I, I mean, I felt like I knew, like I had done everything to prepare myself. I think the one thing that I was not prepared for that really hit me hard was how little time I was going to have to do the things that I knew I needed to do because of the day-to-day -day things that I have to take care of as a head coach. Um, like literally, I've, my email as an assistant coach, I'd get like five a day. Now I'm getting like 30 a day. You know, and each one requires my attention. And, uh, you know, the where before, as an assistant coach, you're trying really hard to get your kids to pass. Now, as a head coach, we're talking about, like, like these kids have to pass. And so I have to go do whatever it takes to get, you know, like, get them to do their work. 
you know, and it's just, it's like the constant grind of managing, you know, as opposed to, you know, when, as an assistant coach, you can find your niche and you can really like hone in on that and you can really be good at that, but you don't have to like, you see the bigger picture, but the bigger picture isn't you. You're doing your part of the bigger picture. Now I am the bigger picture, you know, and uh, I think this year we at least have established the culture and we've established, um, you know, we've gotten a lot of things done. We got a new racquetballs, you know, we got uniforms now. We've got, um, you know, the locker room, we got the locker room renovated, which was a huge thing for our program just to like bring some pride um, to it. And, you know, uh, I got, you know, my assistants last year were phenomenal. Um, you know, I've been able to add to my staff um, with some experienced people. So they've been able to get a lot done for me. Uh, and for us and our program. Um, so I think it's just being more prepared. Like the biggest difference is this year, I feel like I've been down the road now uh, and everybody's kind of been down the road now. So we kind of know a, a whole lot more and we're able to, I guess, more efficiently use our time, um, you know, and uh, we, we got a lot done early in the year. So now, Season's about ready to start, and we can focus more on X's and O's and getting these kids passing and things like that. Yeah, and so you mentioned uh, building your culture and fighting for your culture every day. Um, so what are some things that you have zero tolerance for, and how do you go about communicating that? I think you got to be careful with zero tolerance. Um, I have a friend who's a principal, actually, I'm sorry, he's my cousin. <laughs> and he said it, I think best. He said that, um, great teachers hold the line very, uh, you know, the line of accountability very, very high. They have a very, you know, like they push kids really hard, but at the same time, they have a lot of grace. And, uh, with our population, like if I had a zero tolerance policy, I would have half of my kids in the program. You know, because they're teenagers and they they make mistakes and they um, they do stupid things and they, you know, they, they play off emotion. They act off emotion. They say things they, they regret. They really, you know, they, they're not fully developed humans yet. And um, our four core values are care, communication, competition and collective responsibility. And, um, you know, different this year than last year. We're holding them accountable to communication. If you're going to be late and you do not contact a coach, you're not practicing today, period. Like, I don't care what it is, you're not practicing today. And early on, we put our foot down, and those kids who didn't communicate with us didn't practice. And so, a lot of them were the, you know, the older kids that had been around before us, and they didn't think we were serious. And they had to sit out. And then we stole this from uh, our AC, who our athletic uh, excuse me, athletic coordinator, who's also um, the girls basketball coach, but she has these makeup cards and each one gets progressively harder and there's like excused and unexcused on it. And so we stole that from them and adapted it to our purposes. And so if you miss a practice, you have to make it up. Well, if you've missed it because you didn't call, it's unexcused, which is much harder. And after you've reached a certain number of that, we're having a meeting and we're going to start talking about if basketball's for you or not. And, um, that has been awesome. So they all have binders. They all keep their sheets in their binders. And we have that for conditioning and we have that for in the gym. And so that's totally changed that. Our attendance is so much better. Kids are getting here earlier 
and when they're not here, we get communication. We haven't sat a kid out in a month because of lack of communication. And so I think it was, um, you know, yeah, we had quote unquote zero tolerance, but we didn't kick them out. You know, it's not like, okay, you're, you're done. It's, uh, all right, we're going to hold you accountable to the standards of our program and you're going to learn, you know, and uh, not that we haven't had to get rid of some kids because we have, because they just simply will not buy into what we're doing. Uh, and, and when that starts to impact the rest of the program, you got to get rid of them. But um, uh, we, I think we've given a lot of chances to a lot of kids who maybe other programs might not have. Um, and we've seen definitely some success, you know, just kind of meeting them where they're at, getting them, you know, up to par with our standards and then going from there and, uh, and just showing them some grace, understanding where they're coming from has really helped. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you got to cut some kids some slack sometimes, you know, if they're late for practice, it may not be their fault. You know, maybe they just didn't have a ride or, you know, something. There's always something that could that could potentially happen. So I think that's a, a good policy to have. Um, so for a lot of coaches, you know, tryout season is coming up soon or maybe it's already happened. Uh, so if you could give some advice to players, what would be a way that a player can really stand out in tryouts and grab the attention of their of their coach? I mean, if you're on, if you're talking about kids that are on the fence of making the program or not, like you're not going to make the team as a scorer. I'm just telling you right now, like <laughs> that's not going to happen because you're on the fence already. If you were this great scorer, why are you on the fence? You know, and uh, too many kids think that that's the only way to make the team. Uh, but to me, you show care. You're the first one there. You're ready to go. When the coach tells you we're transitioning drills, you're the first guy in line. Like, you know, one of our core values is competition. We're still learning what that means. Like, I want to see them competitive in everything. Like, I want them to be the first one to get water, the first one back out shooting free throws or working on a drill we just worked on. Like, you can separate yourself by just simply asking yourself a question, like, what does my coach really want? Like, listen to your coach. They're going to tell you what they want and then do it and do it better than everyone else, like more than everyone else. Like, just separate yourself. Coaches love those kids. Um, you know, are you, gonna, are you willing to give – all right, so right now teaching our man defense, which we call blitz, and blitz is like a up-the-line pressure D, and you've got to be able to stay in front of the basketball. And we talk about, are you a one effort kid? Are you a two effort kid? Are you a three effort kid? You know, or whatever. You're like, how many efforts are you? And we have a lot of one effort kids in our gym right now. And I'll ask him, I said, how many efforts does it take? He said, as many as it takes. That's the answer. So like, you want to separate yourself? As many efforts as it takes, you know, whether it be on the ball defense or diving on the floor for a loose ball, taking the charge, you know, how um, we run a lot because we play fast and I, I always tell the kids you can tell a lot about a person by the way they run like just sit there and watch them run you can tell if they're a competitor or not you can tell where their pain threshold is you can tell how you know much they're willing to persevere what happens when they hit the wall you know do they bust through do they bounce off do they try to find a way around do they go to the bathroom you know like when we're running like you just tell a whole lot about them so like just go and and compete just absolutely compete at everything and believe in yourself. And I, I guarantee, I mean, you, as a coach, we'll work with that. 
we'll work with that. You know, what, what we were talking about earlier with that player who gives one effort and thinks that he's cool and doesn't work very hard, you know, but, you know, uh, that's the player that is a coach killer, you know, because they look good, but they're not, they're not a winner. You know, you want a winner and that winner will do whatever it takes. And so, and that comes through in action. And that's the other thing I tell the kids all the time. Like you can talk to me all day long. Like I'm going to watch you for one minute. I'm going to tell if those words actually mean anything or not. Um, and so if I'm trying out, even if I'm, you know, if I'm on the fence, I think that separates you just your care factor and your competitiveness in everything that that coach sees. And, um, and then other things, I mean, make sure you take care of it in the classroom. Because coaches, when, they're, when they don't know a kid, they're going to be talking to their teachers. So make sure you're taking care of it there. Make sure you're taking care of it everywhere, like that, you know, because people talk. And, you know, you want your coach to hear nothing but great things about you. And, uh, you know, uh, we got a couple kids in our program. Have you seen the movie Rudy? Uh, I have not, no. Okay. You, you got to. It's like a North Carolina – oh, no, I'm sorry. A Notre Dame football player who was a walk-on. It's like a classic sports movie. And he, like, for four years does everything it takes. And he, he eventually, you know, like uh, – you have to see it. I'm not going to give it away. But, like, he, he didn't play in a single game. But he was the first one there, and he's working his butt off and all that. Like, if I'm on the fence, you know, with a kid – and I got one kid like Rudy and one kid, you know, that's just like going at it, like, uh, you know, just going through the motions. I'm taking the Rudy kid. And um, so I think that's the best advice I can possibly give because, you know, you're not going to improve your skill level a lot in a couple days before tryouts. But if you just come like full out, I'm going to compete, I'm going to win this thing, everything that we do, coaches will notice. And then once, you're, once your foot's in the door, you got to keep doing it. Be that guy that just keeps doing it. And, you, you know, a lot of players, you know, like they'll pass a lot of players up on the way. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. So all the players that are listening to this, you guys better take some notes and <laughs> and uh, use that advice when you go for your tryouts. So I definitely agree. You know, you want to have someone that is going to work hard and push the other guys too. You know, maybe you could have someone that's a little bit more skilled, but they don't work as hard. They don't give as much effort. So they're not going to push their teammates and make everybody else around them better. So having that guy that's just going to work hard and give everything that they give everything they got at all costs, that's much more valuable to a team, I believe. So I want to present a scenario, right? You're, you're going into halftime, your team played a really slow first half. Maybe you guys just weren't competing as hard as you wanted them to. You guys are just kind of sleepwalking through the first half. So you're in halftime. You're in the locker room. What are you saying to your guys to try to light a fire under them? Are you, you know, throwing trash cans or breaking chalkboards? Like, what are you doing to, to get your guys going? There are, I mean, so many other things to take into account there. Like, where are we in the season? Where have we been in practice? Where are they at right now emotionally and mentally? Um, have we just suffered a tough defeat and we're down and maybe down on ourselves, you know, or maybe they've had a rough week in practice or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're not robots, you know, they, their self-esteem, like they're, they're teenagers. They're still trying to figure out who they are. Right. And so like something bad happens, a lot of times they take it personally and it hurts their self-esteem, which obviously hurts their play. Right. 
Is there a time where you go in there like a raging lunatic? Absolutely. Especially if everybody is aware of what's going on and we just you need a fire. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I'm going to tell you the first thing. I stole this from Don Meyer, who if if you don't know or your, your audience doesn't know who Don Meyer is, like go to Don Meyer's website. He's since passed on. Hall of Fame coach. Great coach of coaches. I mean, just and, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, the resource. Um, but one of the things I stole from him is um, every time any of our teams in our program go in for halftime, uh, one of them grabs a marker and they draw a T chart and they put a plus and a minus and they have to write three things that we did well and three things we did poorly. And while that's happening, the coaches meet outside of the locker room and we talk, we give them like two minutes to do this because we get 10 minute half times. It's like two, two to three minutes, depending on how they're playing. And so they have to lead this discussion before we ever come in. Because now that one person with the marker is talking and people are like, you know, saying, well, we did this well and we didn't do this well. And they're arguing about it and whatever. When we walk in, us coaches look immediately to that board and we see if we're on the same page as our players or not. And um, if we're on the same page, then we probably don't have to scream at them right now. We have to say, look at what you put on the board. Do you want to win this game? Where's our care factor right now? You know, we're not boxing out. We, they are killing us on the boards. You see it. We see it. Second half, we're going to kill them on the boards. And we're going to turn this thing around, you know. And you can really, like, turn it into a positive because, you know, you don't want to beat a dead horse, you know, because they ain't going to get them going, you know, if they're already feeling bad about it. Now, if they put rebounding in the positive column and we've been out-rebounded by 30, now we need, you know, maybe there needs to be a reality check, you know. Uh, but I think that that really helps – because you know, one of our core values is communication. That really helps us communicate the staff with the players. And um, there are times where, you know, you walk in and, I mean, you could play like the, uh, I mean, grandmothers are really good at the, the disappointment card. You know, I'm so disappointed in where we're at right now. I mean, like if the kid cares and you have a good relationship with the kid, the kid will run through a wall for you at that point. You know, coach is disappointed in me. I haven't done my job. Oh, my God. Like, you know, and so you can maybe light a fire that way. But it, it all comes down to your relationships, your understanding of where you're at, you know, in the season, where they're at mentally and emotionally. Um, and also, you know, individual personalities, too. You know, there's that kid that if you tear into them, they're going to break down. They're, they just can't handle it. And then you have this other kid who you could tear into all day. And sometimes you can tear into him because he's more than tough enough and understands what's going on. And you can actually be sending a message to another player in the room, you know, by tearing into him and that can maybe light the fire. So I think you just, as a coach, you've got to have like this, this, you know, tool chest, if you will. And you've got to kind of pull out the right tool for that moment uh, based on all of that information that you, you are taking in. Um, and your assistants can help you with that too. Cause you know, I want my assistants to build really strong relationships with the players. And so they can tell me, you know, like, hey, man, you know, and probably already have told me, you know, such and such is having a bad day today, you know. And then if we see that in his play, then that changes the conversation, you know. Again, you don't want to, like, tear into him at that point. They'll be like, hey, man, I hear you're having a bad day, man. But, you know, hey, you could leave that at the door right now and you could come out and turn things around just by doing what you do in practice every day. And a lot of times that, that will that kind of jog them and get them going in the right direction. I think ultimately it just comes down to the relationships, understanding the situation. And I don't think that there's a one 
you know, I think that's the art of coaching, right? There's no one way to make that happen. And I will say, I mean, at times I get really intense and I screw up on that because I'll come in raging when I shouldn't. And, uh, you know, I probably have hurt my teams in the past. And there's other team times where I come in and I think I'm Phil Jackson and I try to be all meta Zen and they really need to be torn into. And, you know, you just keep learning, you learn your team, you learn your craft and hopefully you figure it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you definitely got to find that balance. Cause like you were saying, everybody responds to, you know, criticism or, you know, everybody is going to respond in a different way. So you got to understand who you're working with and, you know, all the factors that, are involved. Um, so now we'll transition to a fun segment that we have on this show. It's called explain that tweet. And so what I'm going to do is just read some of your tweets and then you can just offer an explanation on some of them. Okay. Uh, so this first one, it was actually a response that you had to someone else's tweet. Uh, the original tweet was what's a lost art in basketball and then you responded passing. Oh yeah. So I'm just wondering why you think passing is a lost art and what can we do as coaches to bring passing back, if you will? All right, so this is, try not to be too long-winded on this, but I, I told you I came from soccer. And in soccer, you would get a friend on your own and you'd go out to the field and you kick around the ball. Like literally you just pass it back and forth and you do it for hours, just passing the ball back and forth. When was the last time you saw a basketball player just sit in the gym passing? Like almost never, never. Right. And now we have transitioned the game to this, you know, uh, uh, what is it? Space and pace or pace and space, whatever, you know, like space out the floor, play really fast. ISO, get the help, kick out to the open shooter. You know, so all we're like the passes we're working on are usually off of the bounce, you know, and it's, you know, attack, work on our dribble moves and then just hit the open shooter. And a lot of times when you watch those teams, it turns in, I call the offense instead of dribble drive, I call it dribble. You know, it's just like, and we're throwing passes, the art of hitting a guy in the chin. Like if you want a great shooter, you got to give him a great pass. And, you know, like I see guys who literally think, you know, okay, I've driven, I've drawn all this help and I throw the ball to this guy and my job's done, you know, and it hits him in the knees and then the guy's still shooting, you know, like just the art of like making that player better by hitting them in the chin, by leading them. We, we say the ball has eyes, like putting them in a position where they can be successful with the ball. Um, you know, the other day in practice, we had a player the guy, we, we run a, a Euro ball screen offense and we were screened and rolled and the guy got pushed under the basket and they pass it to him. Call that jail. Like you just pass the ball to somebody in jail. What are they going to do at this? Well, he's open. I know he's open. They want him to be open. He, you know, he's, he's out of the play. So I think all the things that come into passing, it's not just sitting there partner passing, though I think that skill is not a skill that's practiced enough. And I don't think it's one that's taught enough all the different passes you can use in the game because they're really weapons. Um, but then the art of making the right pass and making the right decision uh, and making your teammate better by your pass is something I don't think is taught a lot, at least not that I've seen. And I'm, I mean, and I'm no expert on it either. I just feel like uh, watching the game, I don't see that emphasized. And um, the, the other one is the post-entry pass. 
I mean, a lot of post play has been eliminated from the game in these new offenses. You put the post on the backside, you know, kind of in the dunker spot over there, and he just goes and gets rebounds and picks up trash or the occasional lob, right? And, you know, the idea, like, uh, just trying out a transition, getting that early post to come down and cut to that block and pin him and seal him, and then me dribble down to that right wing and make a great, you know, open the window for him and make a great post entry pass. I don't see it very often in the game anymore. And I think it's a real weapon. I mean, we got a lot of big, highly skilled post players who could get early touches and get early baskets, but I don't see us getting them the ball like that anymore. So to me, I, every time I see that question, I put passing. And I, I just think that there's so many things. You go back, I mean, one of my favorite teams ever is like the 85, 84 through 86 Celtics. And you just watch the way they move the ball. It was just unbelievable. Um, you know, they were always trying to make their teammate better with the way that they move the basketball. And you just shred defenses that way. Um, I wish I could say my team has mastered this art. But, um, you know, we're working at that every single day. That's just a huge point of emphasis. Uh, you know, even my freshmen who can barely dribble can right-hand perimeter pass and left-hand perimeter pass. Like, and if they make a right-handed pass to the left side, they're being corrected and they have to do it again. Um, so I just, my observation, I just haven't seen, I haven't seen, an, uh, you know, as, a, as really an emphasized skill in the game. Yeah, no, I agree. I think moving without the ball could be in that same conversation as well. Exactly. Uh, what are some of your favorite drills that you use to help your team uh, work on their passing skills? Um, so we have one drill. It's just really simple. Um, I put a line in the corner and then a, a kind of in the wing, there's a person. And then on the other wing, there's a person maybe kind of up under the slots a little bit and then in the other corner. And we'll do it on both sides. And they'll start with a ball, and they have to flick it and get in triple threat. And then, which de depending on which direction we're going, they got to do a perimeter pass, which is just a one-handed pass, to the next guy and follow their pass. And they go all the way around, you know, all four people. And then the, ba the person on the baseline catches it, has to drive baseline, do a, uh, a baseline drift pass, jumping out of bounds. And then the next person that catches it, we go again. And you just go as fast as you can. And every time you catch, you have to ball in the air, feet in the air. And you've got to land with rhythm like you're ready to shoot. Look at the rim for just a split second before you pass. And so we'll just stand under the goal and we'll watch every single one of them. They don't do it right. they got to do it again. And we'll put like two minutes on the clock for left hand and two minutes for right hand. And we will compete the two sides. Every time they get that baseline drift pass and they catch, that's one. And we'll see how many times we can go around the perimeter. And we'll do it two minutes, and then we'll go two minutes the other direction. And then the loser will run or whatever consequence there is for the day. And um, I just think that in terms of technique, if you coach it right and you really demand them to do it right where they're catching, you know, it's forcing them to hit them right in the chin. Because if you hit them in the knee, it's going to slow you down. You know, It's forcing the guy to catch and gather, look, and pass with rhythm. And... Um, I see that in my players. We're not we're not great about it yet. We're not great with our decision making in games once we add defenders in that. But I, we do throw that drill in like once you know a week or so, and it's it's competitive and it's fast, and the kids actually really get into it. So that's that's just one example. I mean, I think passing works into any drill that you do, and it's just it's it's not necessarily uh, uh, 
what you teach it ends up being what you emphasize. It's what you like demand every single time. And the words do it again. I mean, that phrase is like money in coaching. Like if they, if they don't do it right, stop it. And early practices, there's going to be a lot of stoppage in my opinion until they'd start doing it right. And then they start eliminating those mistakes and we move on and build. Yeah. I think one of the reasons maybe why passing has become a, a lost art is you know, a lot of kids when they work out with their trainer, like they're not working on passing at all. Like they're just, they have the ball in their hands the whole time. They're dribbling, you know, combo moves, taking a bunch of dribbles, yep. shooting, but they're, not really doing a lot of passing or like when kids are working out by themselves, you know, whether it's just in their driveway or at the park, like they don't have the opportunity to throw a pass to somebody. So I think that's probably one of the reasons, but it's really easy for trainers who, out there who are listening to incorporate passing into your drills, whether it's just, you know, you drive in pass and then you get the ball back and then you shoot or then you make your move. But it's really easy, you know, if you just really make a conscious effort to do it, um, it's really not that hard to, to incorporate passing into a lot of those drills or individual workouts that you're doing. This next one, this was a, uh, a tweet that you, you quote tweeted. It was a, a, originally an Albert Einstein quote says, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself. And then you responded with coaching youth sports should be a prerequisite for coaching at a higher level. Teaching a sport from the ground up is the best uh, player development there is. So I definitely agree with that. And if you could just offer some insight on maybe your terminology or the language that you use to help simplify the game and make it really easy for your players to understand and remember. This is a constant challenge, you know, especially at like the varsity level where we're going to see multiple defenses, multiple offenses, different styles, presses, all kinds of stuff. How do you simplify the game? And, and here, my guys, like a lot of my freshmen come in having never played the game. Or if they've played, they've played like recreationally or like our middle school season is like six or eight games long, not highly competitive. I mean, our middle school coaches do great for what they can do, but it's just like, it just we're, our demographic, they learn to play at the park. You know, and uh, so my experience having coached fourth and fifth grade ball, I think, you know, the, the whole KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid, uh, you know, like start out with a foundation. Like, what is this going to be? And, you know, whether you know, terminology is huge, um, you know, and without getting into all of it, I think no matter what you use, you just have to be consistent with it. You know, um, I'll give you one example, like guarding the ball. If you guard the ball, we have. Uh, what we say is no elbows, no lane, no push point. And so, like, if I can actually draw this up on a piece of paper here for you. But, uh, okay. you know, if you're guarding the ball up here at the top, okay? So the idea is no elbows. So we're going to take away one of the elbows. I don't know if you could see, but I moved him over a little bit. We're going to take away one of the elbows with our positioning. But also position our body such that they can't have a direct line inside the elbow they'd have to go outside the elbow to go that way so our positioning starts out there and so our saying is no elbows all right so now once they've dribbled past that now we say no lane so we tell them always take away elbow and i'm sorry that was not a good angle
but always take away elbow. So now they're taking away that elbow. Our help is standing right here. And then the push point, depending on the player, I've yet to have a player good enough to have a push point in the corner, but usually it's like short corner, just a little further out. So now my feet are angled there. I'm taking away the elbow and I'm pushing them to that push point. And all I care about, I don't care if you do the traditional slide. I don't care if you turn and sprint. I don't care. Like you figure this part out. Like we're going to practice all different ways, but no elbow, no lane, no push point. If somebody slices you and you've allowed lane or you've allowed push point, right? Allowed them to go past that. I take you out. I just say you allowed push point and it's over. Like they can't argue, you know, like your job was to stay in front of them and not allow elbow lane or push point. And I think that that simplifies things. So now it's not subjective anymore. Like if I pull a kid because he can't stay in front of the guy because he keeps allowing elbow, that puts pressure on our defense. And as I said, we play up the line. So like right here when the ball is at the top is the most dangerous time. Because if we're up here putting pressure on the lanes, there's no help, especially if there's open up. So you have to take away elbows. And so I guess that would be just like one example of how we just try to like simple in our terminology, simple in what we want. And then, you know, at, at times, you know, like, you, every player is different. They can't all do it the exact same way. I don't care how you do it. You know, we're trying to teach you and give you like ideas on how to make it better. But, um, you know, ultimately now it just comes down to want to and care and practice and all of those things. Uh, but that makes it so much better to me than uh, you have to stay in front of your guy. You hear that all the time. You just, you have to stay, no, no like don't allow elbow, you know? And to me that, that terminology has really helped simplify, you know, this really difficult. I mean, that's one of the hardest things in the game to do is stay in front of somebody, especially with, like you were saying, all those guys working on their dribble moves all the time. Um, but yeah. And, and then back to the, the coaching youth. Um, when you get a kid that has never played the game before, there's so many things you can teach them. Right. And you learn over time. Like when you're coaching, you know, 10, 11, 12 year olds, I even coached my son's seven year old team this summer. And it really humbled me again, you know, like you've got to figure out really simple drills that teach bigger concepts. And, and what I discovered was uh, playing a lot of keep away was huge for their basketball IQ. And we had one of the best passing teams in the league because you know, most of the kids, they just get the ball and they dribble and they dribble and dribble until they get a shot. And by playing a lot of like four on two, four on three keep away games, even just in a box, like you know, where they have to be in the corner, they start working on fakes. They start working on court vision. Um, all that stuff helps me at Crockett, where I get a freshman who's never really played much of the, the sport, and we're doing those same drills, trying to develop that basketball IQ. Yeah, I think that's great, great insight there. Because I think a lot of coaches, you know, when they work with older players, they think they need to do all these complex drills mm -hmm. and, you know, make things really, really challenging and, you know, things that they haven't done before. But in reality, it's just better to keep it simple and work on the basic stuff. Like you could do the same exact things with, you know, a group of high schoolers that you do, like you're saying, with a seven year old. Oh, so absolutely. just kind of, you know, everybody needs those basic fundamentals and those those things that are going to make it easier for you as a player. Um, so this has been great. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, once again, just really appreciate you taking the time to join the becoming today and dropping some knowledge for everybody. Um, so final question is, 
you know, every every coach understands that you got to be passionate about what you do. And, you know, you want your team to see that passion. So how do you show your players that you're passionate about what you do and passionate about helping them get better? I mean, it's I'm sorry, I'm at school. That's what the bell is. Um, oh, no, it's all good. Um, I mean, as we say, actions speak louder than words. And I don't know what they're doing right now. Um, my life right now is my family. My family, uh, my teaching, and this program is basically, I mean, I've made a lot of sacrifices to get here. And now that I'm here, um, I apologize again. Um, but now that I'm here, I'm not, you know, I'm planning on, on trying to build this thing to the very best of my and my staff's ability. And, and uh, I think you just show it every single day. I show it when, you know, like before I got on here with you, I was making phone calls to my players who were not passing right now, trying to get them on. Cause today we have an off day and um, I'm trying to get them to, uh, to pass their classes. I'm trying to convince them that this is really important, you know, and then from there, we're going to remember this and we're going to keep pressing them and pressing them. So we're never in this situation again, you know, talking to parents, uh, trying to get them to support what we're doing and to support their kid. Um, but it's, it's just, it's a daily thing. I think, um, things that are missing, I, I really like, and I'm not, I can't even paraphrase it, but Frank Martin has a really good quote about like, it's not kids that have changed. And, um, I really feel like that's true. Like, I think adults are afraid to say no to kids. And they're afraid that kids aren't going to like them. They're going to afraid that this, this star player is going to quit because you held them accountable to a higher standard. Um, and I just, I disagree with all of that. I think that, you know, you show care by saying no. You show care by saying, I'm not going to let you, um, I'm not going to let you slide. And, you know, you just, you keep going, keep going and, and I like to say I, I don't quit on kids. Sometimes kids quit on me, but like I'm just gonna keep going and keep bringing it every day. And and we've had a lot of success with that. You know, I, it really angers me at times. I listen to coaches and and teachers too, and they just sit here and they complain about the kids. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like to show them that you care about them. Like you and and uh, I've actually asked teachers straight up, like, do you like what you're doing? Like you're, you're sitting here complaining to me this whole time. Like maybe the kids are picking up on that, you know, like if, if um, you have to bring the juice every single day and you've got to, you've got to be on your game and you've got to care. And when you're not on your game, you've got to be authentic and you've got to admit it and you've got to be honest and you've got to be the, you know, the first guy in the gym and uh, you know, opening the gym for them and, you know, shooting them messages. I shoot you know, on our, on our team text, I shoot like, you know, little quotes like the quote that you had there, you know, like we have a thought for the day, uh, you know, you're sending that to them. If a kid's having a bad day about something and then you find a piece of information, you send it to them, you know, and um, if they're having a great day, you know, we, you know, at the end, at the beginning and end, we always meet in a circle. And, you know, um, I'm really big on the Dean Smith idea that you don't give out compliments just to give them out because then they're meaningless. Like you, you try to find reasons for a kid to get a compliment, like they have to earn it. And so when, you know, I get a positive email from a, from a teacher about one of our players in the classroom, 
Like we'll wait till the end and we'll have everybody together and everybody's worked really hard and all this. And then I'll read the email and everybody else, ah, you know, and I just, I don't know. I just think you got to find your own way, whatever, whatever it is to show care every single day. And, and the kids know they're going to hate you some days because you're going to be honest with them and you're going to hold them accountable and they're going to absolutely going to cuss your name out to everybody that'll listen, but they're going to be back the next day. And, uh, and they're going to keep coming back because they, they, they really crave that. They crave somebody in their lives. that are going to be totally honest and authentic with them. I truly believe that. And even the kids that do end up quitting, they'll regret it later on. I, I really think that they will. And, you know, it is what it is, and we all mature at different rates. But um, I, I just – I feel like you – care is an action verb. You just bring it every single day for those kids. And, um, you know, you can – I keep quoting other coaches because I like to give them credit, but I saw Seth Greenberg speak at Bob Hurley camp, actually. And uh, he said you can coach kids hard these days if they know you care about them. And I thought that that was really, really uh, a poignant thought. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely agree with everything that you said, you know, because I think the best players, they want to be coached hard, you know, even though they may not appreciate it in the moment, they're, that's what they want, you know, and they may not tell you that they, they want it, but I think deep down, you know, if you're really, if you're really about taking your game to the next level and trying to be the best version of yourself as a player, then you're going to want that, that hard coaching. Mm -hmm. And I've also heard, you know, about um, you know, like you were saying, uh, you know, you have to establish the relationship first in order to, to coach them hard. Cause if you, you know, give someone some, uh, constructive criticism, then with no relationship, then they're just going to see it as more of a personal attack rather than this guy's trying to help me and, and give me some advice to, to get better. So, yeah, once again, thank you for joining the podcast and sharing a lot of great insight and great knowledge with us today. I know everybody who's listening will will really benefit from that. So if there's anybody that you want to shout out or anything that you want to plug, just want to give you that opportunity before we close it out. Um, well, first off, I mean, uh, my athletic coordinator and head women's basketball coach has been incredibly successful here. Jennifer Shuttleworth is amazing. Um, and I could, I could not work for a better person. Um, so I always thank her for the opportunity to just be able to do this. Um, and my wife and my children who, uh, I mean, the sacrifice, and we talk about it all the time, but the sacrifice is real um, that families give to allow coaches to coach. Um, it's just, it's unbelievable. I, there's no way I could possibly even like do this without her. So um, I'd be remiss not to, not to thank her for that. And thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to come on. I hope that uh, somebody got something out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I'm certain that they will. Well, there you have it, folks. That's it for today. And uh, we'll see you next time.